Thank you for pressing start on episode 49 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today we have two secret games, followed by a review of our featured game, Totally Accurate Battle Simulator. Here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds, the games with small budgets but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. I'm Bo Poe, and joining me is my best friend, playing games that he recommends. He's the biggest fan of Mega Man, flipping phones after smartphones began. I'm talking about the late-night streaming, secret game scheming, everyone say hola to Disco Cola. What is going on? Bopo, I'm feeling bold. I'm feeling brave. I could take on a mammoth. I could fell the god of lightning. How are you today? I'm doing just fine, my floppy mammoth. (laughs) I actually wrote that down. (laughs) Synergy with our references. Those are references to our featured game, Totally Accurate Battle Simulator. It is a very different game that I've been actually streaming a lot on twitch.tv slash bo underscore underscore (laughs) po. And it has been a wild time. It's very fresh on my mind because I played it yesterday, but I have played quite a bit of this game the past few weeks. And uh, I, I, again, I think it's one of those games where we haven't quite played anything like it before um, I agree. for our featured game category. But uh, thank you all for listening. As we sit down, it is like mid-December, and just recently we had the 2023 Game Awards we know this episode won't be published until like February 2024. <laughs> None of our news coverage is ever like timely, but we figure like uh, I want to talk about it too, please. Yes, yeah. we want to we want to take the time to talk about the game awards because this is what many people call gaming's biggest night. Yeah. It's it is kind of like the Super Bowl. Uh, we were chatting with our friends in the in a little chat and I was like next next year we'll all eat Super Bowl food, but in a different room together. <laughs> yeah, it, it is kind of like the Super Bowl for video games, and lots of announcements are made, and some awards are given out. It is it is a three-and-a-half-hour show in which I think about 18% of the show is actually awards and speeches and announcing nominees and then the winners, and then the rest is commercials and trailers for upcoming games and game announcements. And among all that, we get a wide range of games. We get everything from AAA, like big budget, high production value games, to the smaller games made by only a few people or maybe one person. And so uh, we'll talk about some of these things. We'll talk about um, some of the independent game-focused categories of awards as well as some announcements. But first, I'm curious about your general thoughts on the Game Awards 2023. How do you think this show went? Yeah, so during that and then directly afterward, I was having such a great time because as you alluded to earlier, it's just like all these announcements and I'm like, oh, that looks cool. And oh, I know Bopo's going to love that. I don't care, but Bopo's going to love that. <laughs> no, our friend Drake is going to be so oh, stoked yes, about this. Yes. Uh, and I was just having a good time, but it wasn't until like, a couple hours after where I was seeing like some of the backlash, like it's, it's an award show. It's not an advertisement show. And I was like, Oh yeah, that is kind of problematic. I was just lost in the sauce of like stuff that looked really cool. 
Um, so I'm part of the problem. Sorry, folks. But I did see a lot of stuff that looked really cool, but maybe as an award show, not the best year. I agree with you pretty much wholeheartedly on all of that. I don't think I would have come to that conclusion without other people pointing it out, unfortunately. I think that was the usefulness of being online and looking at social media during the the show and looking up hashtags for things because people really put things into perspective about how this past year um, has been an amazing year for games. It's one of the best years for games of all sizes. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just too much to play. Gamers are eating well. But the industry for developers is really rough. Thousands of developers have lost their jobs. There was no mention of that. And that stung extra hard when developers weren't really given a lot of time on stage. And they're told to wrap things up within 30 to 60 seconds. And this is the only time they get to have a spotlight to just celebrate the creation and um, the artfulness of games. And so I want to see more of that. I think this would be a more accurately titled show if it was like the the game announcements, not the game awards. <laughs> yeah. And you said lost in the sauce. That's definitely how I started to feel with all the announcements where it is just rapid fire announcement after announcement after announcement. I was trying to keep track of everything on my phone and I got whiplash from everything being announced. Yeah. And I was trying to put like a little heart emoji next to the ones that I was really interested in. And even just doing that and being in our chat and looking at social media, I was just constantly typing and switching between apps. It was just- <laughs> falling behind. It's I so was hard. falling behind yeah. and I missed some announcements. Uh, it was exhausting. So you do that for three and a half hours. And I think we were all kind of feeling fatigued afterwards. But, you know, also I try to look at the silver lining- and at the very least, we are aware of some cool games coming up. You yeah. Know? So there is some good that came out of it. I wish more attention could have been given to those developers. Um, but we do know about some cool games. And there are some indie studios and publishers that uh, took home some awards. Um, so we had Best Independent Game. This is the big indie game-focused award. And the nominees were Cocoon, Dave the Diver, Dredge, Sea of Stars, and Viewfinder, and the winner was Sea of Stars, made by Sabotage Studio. Um, Any reactions to the nominees and or the winner? I honestly thought it was going to be Cocoon, Um, just based on how much I heard about each of those games. I definitely thought it was going to be Cocoon, especially with the recency. Uh, Based on what you said, I guess I'm not surprised about Sea of Stars. It is the one that I am the least excited to try of the group. Um, and that's it. Yeah. I think it definitely appeals to, uh, people who love those old school JRPG games, but that has a new spin. And I played the demo of this at steam next fest, I think the summer edition, um, this past year. And it was a delight actually. I liked it more than I expected to. So I still have not played any of these games yet. They are all on our list of future featured games. So we will pick them to play at some points. Um, I could see at least one uh, being in the mix for season six yeah. uh, coming up. I don't see why not. Yeah. So um, I had heard amazing things about Cocoon as well, but I had also heard that Sea of Stars was just a giant seller and that it sold hundreds of thousands of copies in the first few weeks. So it just seems like it had a lot of uh, momentum there. So we're looking forward to trying all these. Um and then there was uh, Best Debut Indie. I think this is a really fun category because um, it highlights 
maybe some of the games that we hear about for best independent game, but then also some newcomers um, when it comes to developers. So the nominees for this were Cocoon, Dredge, Pizza Tower, Venba, and Viewfinder. And the winner was Cocoon. Yes. So Cocoon got its flowers. I, I honestly, like if things had to shake out a certain way with, you know, two well-recognized games getting their flowers, I'm kind of glad it it ended up being this way. But I've heard amazing things about all these games. You yeah, know what I mean? I, I think so. There was such a, a really long phenomenon for a platformer, uh, but Pizza Tower was just like in the spotlight for a long time and people are memeing on it uh, forever (laughs) still. Um, And that's the one that I still know the least about. I think, I think I even know more about dredge. Yeah. uh, I don't know very much about dredge, but Um, so our friend, again, mentioning our friend Drake, Drake loves dredge. Drake Drake is a dredge player. Drake, the dredge man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, cocoon. I saw at the top of lots of critics uh, lists and, um, I saw people devour Viewfinder the weekend it came out. I saw people talking about Dredge all year long. Mm-hmm. You know, I just heard about that game for months and months and months. And then um, some of our friends at No Spawn Games covered Venba, and I'm excited to try Venba. Yeah, I, might. I think Venba looks delightful. It looks amazing. I was talking about this uh, on one of my streams, but I was considering playing Venba as like my last game of 2023, like on New Year's Eve. Oh, that'd be um, cool. Just as like a nice last game to close out the year. So I might do that. Um, by the time this episode comes out, I will have either done that or not. So, <laughs> I, you know, again, this is way in the past. But if, uh, if we may diverge, that like PlayStation recap came out recently and it shows you the first game you played of the year, which is like, in my mind, such a strange thing, but I make an effort to make it always the same game every year, Mega Man X. I oh. always play Mega Man X right away gotcha. on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Okay. Uh, so it's just like, well, that new <laughs> that, category that again, is yeah. always going to be the same. Yeah, so. and then you might think, oh, am I looking at last year's uh, <laughs> stats? Nope, it's the next year's. Uh, so I'll be mindful about that now that I know they do that. Um, and then the other indie focus towards category was Games for Impact. And the nominees were A Space for the Unbound, Chance of Sonar, Goodbye Volcano High, Chia, Terranil, and Venba. And the winner was Chia. Um, do you know anything about Chia? I know nothing about Chia. I haven't okay. even heard of that one. I remember when this game first came out, it felt like very much of a certain place and mm-hmm. a, of a certain kind of people. And it's I remember seeing a trailer for it and seeing a girl transform into tons of animals. Um, it kind of gave me... Oh, I kind of remember this. Yes, it kind of gave me Alba, a wildlife yeah. adventure vibes, um, but maybe with more maneuvering as different animals with different powers. Mm -hmm. And so um, also I think what gave Chia a little bit of momentum is when it came out, it was really like foremost marketed as like a PlayStation game. Mm -hmm. And I think PlayStation immediately put it on their um, PlayStation premium service, where if you were a PlayStation premium subscriber, you could play it day one. Kind of like an Xbox Game Pass yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, situation. So lots of people got to play it just because they already had this subscription. And so maybe that gave that game an extra push. Um, but a lot of these games are a little bit more obscure than some of the more recognized games in the best indie game category. And that's that's always been the hardest thing for me in years past where it's like, especially last year, where it was just like every category was just a popularity contest, I feel like. Like... Whatever the biggest game was that year sure. swept the whole thing. Sure. That didn't happen quite so bad this year, yeah. I feel. I think 
games that deserve to win up against other really big games won in that category. I think like best sound design was like, oh yes, Hi-Fi Rush actually oh, yeah, won definitely. up against Baldur's Gate and whoever the hell else was yeah. in there. And even among the the big, sorry, going back to like general thoughts on the show, but even the bigger games spread the love a little bit with the awards. Yeah, whereas like... Um, Last like, year it was just like Elden Ring, Elden, Elden Ring, Ring, and Elden, I, yeah, I was just like, yeah. okay, I don't care. You saw like Alan Wake Two win for best game direction, yeah, which I thought was going to be Baldur's Gate Three, and then Baldur's Gate Three won Game of the Year. So that I kind of like seeing that. I like seeing the love spread around. Um, but um, I just want to point out one of these nominees is A Space for the Unbound, um, which you've been playing a little bit ahead of our upcoming episode covering yeah. that. So that will be one of our featured games later this season. Um, so. Yeah, in about a month, you can listen to uh, that episode <laughs> covering a space for the Unbound. I still have not started it yet, but I will soon. You've got time. I do. I have lots of time. Uh, and then also, one of these games was Terra Nil, which you reviewed in season four as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think, I think it, in my opinion, probably would have been at bottom of the list. Not just because I didn't enjoy actively playing the game, but even the really like impactful parts are like... yeah. Not that strong, sure. in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, note, though, while we're here, uh, I saw that it's coming to Switch, at least. Yes. So hopefully a console port's not far behind. I would give it another try uh, when it came to uh, PlayStation. If you could play it on your Switch in, like, bed, could you see that being a more enjoyable experience compared to just sitting down at your PC? And- uh, I think I've got a few too many games to play in my bed on Switch to make that one a priority okay. anytime okay. soon. Okay, cool. Well, then um, some announcements of indie games from the Game Awards. We had lots of announcements again, dozens of announcements, but uh, a fair amount of them were indie in nature. As you look at the announcements from the show, are you coming away energized about any particular indie games? There were so many that I couldn't keep track of them all, and I couldn't keep them in my brain, <laughs> apart from one, um, which was called Something June. Usual June. Usual June. I thought Usual June, what they showed me in that trailer just looked so fascinating. Super stoked for it. But there were a bunch that I saw that I'm like, oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks good. <laughs> uh, usual June uh, is being developed by Finji, who we've heard a lot on this show. They published Chicory, A Colorful Tale. They published Wilmot's Warehouse. They published Tunic and Night in the Woods, all these amazing indie games. And um, I saw them on social media after Usual June was announced, them doing their own post about the announcement and saying like, yes, we're known for our publishing. We also make games. (laughs) PSA, we make games. So I thought that was really fun and I'm, I'm happy for them. They're becoming more and more of an indie publishing slash developing juggernaut. Up there almost with Devolver and Annapurna. They're kind of like in the next tier for me. Yeah. Then there are some really fun follow-ups, right? You've got Thrasher, which is from the artist and composer of Thumper. Does that excite you as someone who played Thumper? I'm excited to at least look at it. Thumper was one of the hardest experiences of my life, so I don't know (laughs) how I feel about playing it. But I am at least looking forward to uh, how it looks and how people receive it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then you played Last Day of June way back in season one. I believe the developer of that game was Avant Garden, and they are the ones working on the remake of Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, which is a game that was uh, first made by Joseph Ferris, 
uh, the guy, the It Takes Two. It Takes Two and guy, uh, Way Out. A Way guy. Out yeah. guy. I, from what I understand, he's sort of endorsed this project. He has blessed it. And uh, these people who made Last Day of June are working on this remake. And they, that's one of the first announcements they made. Um, there's Pony Island 2, which is the follow-up to Pony Island, made by Daniel Mullins, who also made Inscription, which right. neither of us have played. But I've played Pony Island on my own, and it is a crazy trip of a game. And Pony Island 2 just looks like it's doing way more than Pony Island. Yeah. Uh, then we have Windblown, which is an action oh, roguelike. Yeah. Windblown's one I, I think I'm pretty excited about. That it, one looks pretty fun. That one is made by Motion Twin, who made Dead Cells. And then this really crazy announcement about Dave the Diver and Dredge having a collaborative like free update Yeah. Uh, for Dave the Diver. Like Why not? Basically, Dredge content in Dave the Diver. It just got released here at the end of uh, 2023. And it's funny to see like two nominees for best independent game actually coming together and making something together. I love that. Yeah, that's rad. Uh, and then uh, one other one I want to mention is Big Walk, which I think you and I were both excited about. This is made by House House, who made Untitled Goose Game. Yeah, Untitled Goose Game is probably my favorite game of 2018, which is when that game came out. I'm a little bit less excited about this. I I still want goose at the zoo sequel i want i want to mess with a zebra i want to oh, upset a giraffe you know yes um, like, like play as different animals in the no same game. i want to oh, play as the goose as the goose they can get because like if you gotcha. think about our big zoo that's about 45 minutes away there's peacocks all over the place oh sure why can't it be a goose yeah and why can't that goose exactly. just be a total there could be head. peacocks in the game and you pretend to be a peacock and like blend in with them and then they don't really like you yeah <laughs> dude <laughs> you know, oh dude <laughs> They're like, what are you doing? You're yes. a goose. <laughs> and then uh -huh. one of the tasks is like, be a peacock or something. But Big Walk looks fine. I'm, I am less excited about it than I am a potential goose game sequel. But this looks fun and yeah. it looks wacky for sure. Uh, House House updated Untitled Goose Game with their co-op updates. Yep. That was a big like update for the game that came out a while after the initial release. And Big Walk seems to be focused on more of that cooperative online experience yeah. um, that they explored with Untitled Goose Games. So I am interested to play this one and most likely with you uh, and or our friends who also enjoy these kinds of games. Uh, so I think that's about it. There were other indie games, tons of AAA games announced, but I think that was a good sort of summary of the Game Awards 2023. We would be remiss not talking about it at some point. Before we move on, if you're listening to Underplayed right now, thank you. We love you. If you haven't already, please consider giving us a follow and a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It takes just a few seconds and goes a long way. It is time for our secret games. Secret games. Secret games. I know you're playing without me. Secret games. Well, I'm here to tell you, baby. Secret games. I've been playing too. Secret games. In Secret Games, we're each revealing an indie game we've been playing in secret since our last episode. We don't discuss our picks in advance. We keep them a surprise for this very moment. Why are they a surprise? Just for the hell of it. Just to have fun. Uh, we can choose any indie game to play and review. Uh, as long as we haven't reviewed it before, we'll start with you, Disco Cola. Let the mystery be no more. Reveal your secret game for episode 49 
of Underplay. My secret game this episode comes from Sonzai Games and X Plus Co. And I know you've heard of it because it's on your wish list. It is called Bat Boy. Bat Boy. I do believe I have heard of it, but I actually don't know what it looks like. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think I heard about it in a showcase or something and just kind of put it on the wish list, uh, but haven't really looked into it. Cool. All right. Well, I just sent you that trailer and uh, we can check that out while you go on. Cool. Okay. So in Bat Boy, you take on the role of Ryusuke, the star baseball player at the local high school. Uh, And Ryusuke also has eight friends that are also star athletes of their respective sports. During the day, they're just a regular clique of of high school jock friends that love sports. But at night, they use those sports abilities to stop wrongdoers in their town, wherein Ryusuke takes on the persona of Bat Boy. That's so cool. So all these friends have different sports interests. So like Bat Boy is the only baseball focused one. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a tennis player. You've got, I don't think it's Kendo, but something similar to Kendo, uh, soccer, you know, a bunch of other stuff. Okay. So yeah, one night uh, a figure appears under the name of Lord Vicious and Lord Vicious intends to take control over this super team of athletes. Um, but fails to brainwash Bat Boy. Uh, Lord Vicious pays him no mind and proceeds to escort the rest of the team back to his own dimension. So this is... Mighty number nine. Dr. Wily taking over Mega Man 1 robots, sure, yes. leaving Mega Man behind. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it is your goal to track down your friends in this Mega Man-like action platformer game and bring your comrades back to their senses and stop Lord Vicious. As you defeat your brainwashed friends in battle, they will teach you a new skill that will allow you to move or attack in new ways. Oh. Uh, this game also has collectibles that will help you to enhance your health, stamina, or give you access to short-term buffs. So here we are, another Mega Man-like, un- underplayed, <laughs> historically, my bread and butter Do you think it lives up to my standards? I think it was okay. I'm going to say it was okay. Well... In short, yes, it does live up to my standards. <laughs> it might actually it might actually be quicker to talk about things I don't like Whoa. about Bat Boy. Should we just get the dislikes out of the way? Actually, I let's do that real quick. Let's knock this out of the park. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 I'm in. I'm down. <laughs> um, so here's what I don't really love about Bat Boy. I don't think you have enough stamina at the beginning of the game. You start with three units of health and three units of stamina. And stamina is used to perform some of these special moves. So these special moves, in addition to being damage-dealing attacks, most of them, are also new ways to traverse obstacles. So when I get an attack that sort of acts like an air dash pretty early on, I can only use it three times Mm. and I'm out. So if I'm attempting this really large chasm with my air dash or use it without realizing that I definitely need some stamina in the Mm. next couple screens... Um, I can be in deep water and I'll just have to like take a death essentially. Mm. Um, so yeah, I took way more deaths at the beginning of the game than at the end. And I attribute that to a lack of stamina more than anything. Um, something else I don't like about bat boy too much is that it takes a bit too long to gain access to the healing item. There is a healing item in the game. And as long as you're reasonably skilled or powered up, you can get it pretty decently early. But again, I needed more stamina to access the actual unlock point. So 
Um, I got the first healing item quite a bit later than I really would have liked, and it really would have made the beginning of the game move a little bit faster. Um, and then there is this secret boss, and their whole thing is that they are an arrogant, ignorant, and overall just abrasive person, and their whole the whole identity of their boss fight is that they're a plus-size woman. Like, oh, okay. She attacks by jumping on you, and she gains different abilities by eating food. I've never found this boss fight trope uh, appealing in the first place, but for some reason it feels like it was in especially bad taste in Bat yeah. Boy uh-huh. um, by by just also making her entirely unlikable and unskilled. It's just, this is easily my least favorite thing about the game, okay. uh, is this particular boss characterization. Yeah, I could see how that could leave a sour taste in your mouth yeah. for a moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing I dislike about the game is nothing. Wow. I like everything else about this game. Okay. Well, we can just go to the, your final let's, score then. Let's, no. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> um, no, the controls, uh, are super tight. Jumping feels great. Attacking feels just right. Reflecting projectiles is satisfying. They always seem to reflect in the intended direction. You can use your bat to sort of pogo on enemies, mm. and that feels great. I know you love pogoing, Bopo. I love pogoing. Uh, Bopo the pogo. Bopo pogo. Bopo pogo. Bopo pogo. Oh no, we're getting lost in the sauce. But both of those, both the reflection and the pogoing, are amplified by great eight-bit inspired sound effects. After I finished Bat Boy, I had to go to Steam, and I read a bunch of reviews of which. They're like shockingly few, but specifically the negative reviews so that I could try to find something about this game to not like I was looking for something to hate because I was sure I was missing something. But of the very, very, very few negative reviews I saw, the largest complaint was about controls. And I have to say, this baffles me. Okay. Um... I try really hard not to say someone else's opinion is wrong, but I really, <laughs> but is, yeah. I really feel like I need to go on the record to say <laughs> that complaints about Bat Boys having bad controls is objectively wrong. Like, huh. there's no way we played the same game. I mean, you played this on PlayStation. I did. And I did see one complaint that mentions the PC version would try to default to keyboard controls, and that makes it way more difficult and makes mm. it difficult to switch to controller. I obviously can't confirm this. Sure, there can be differences between platforms sometimes. Yeah, but we, we just can never always know because we don't play every game we play on all the platforms. Right. But I can confirm at least on PlayStation, probably as a whole with a controller, Bat Boy does feel great to play. Um I think the music from Bat Boy is great. It's a soundtrack full of 8-bit inspired chiptune, and I honestly don't think there's a stinker in the whole bunch. Additionally, Music is also a collectible in Bat Boy. Each level contains a cassette tape collectible, and this will allow you to listen to the level's music back at the tavern. So if you were, at times, too focused on kicking butt to hear the music, uh, you can go back and make sure you actually liked the music. Love that. Which I did. Uh, speaking of collectibles, this game does have them, and I think it has just the right amount. Each main level has a red seed, a green seed, and a gold seed, and the aforementioned cassette tapes. Having three red seeds will increase your maximum health, three green seeds will increase your maximum stamina, and gold seeds sort of act as a wild card. You can use them to increase either stamina or health. Additionally, gold seeds have to be purchased from a merchant hidden in each of the levels, so it adds another challenge of 
collecting enough currency within a level to also then purchase the gold seed once you find it. Um, and then a select number of levels will also have a pet hidden in them for you to locate and rescue. So this game also qualifies for youcanpetthedog.com <gasps> or the cat. There's cats too. Oh. Um, speaking of hidden items, uh, this game does the 8-bit game style of hiding things behind breakable walls, but this game does it in a way that is respectful and not frustrating. When you enter a screen that has like a hidden or breakable wall, it will kind of be framed in a way where one side of the screen will not necessarily be flush with the edge of your display. Uh So like one side of the room might have just like one tiles worth of thickness, but the other side of the room might have two tiles worth of thickness. Okay, And that's an indication that maybe you should probe that wall for a hidden path. I really appreciate that. We've played a handful of games where it is not clear that yeah. there's that hint. It's just kind of a wall and you have to know that it's there yep. and yep. try every wall till you find them. Even yeah. Hyperlight Drifter, one of my favorite games, will have like a pixel indicator for almost every hidden item, but man, those are hard to see. Yes. That's not the case here in Bat Boy. Like even the walls that are breakable, if you're paying attention, they are pretty easily identifiable. There's only one that I missed and it was because it was like underwater and so everything was a little bit darker and harder to see sometimes there's hidden paths to just like extra rooms and those are always clearly indicated because you'll just see this like little pocket of a room in the corner of a screen and so that's how you know there's a hidden path close by so it really respects your time uh and really encourages you to really seek out all of the collectibles and i i love (laughs) that um i really love all the skills you get from defeating the bosses. Many of them are masquerading as attacks, but I think the primary function of almost all of them is uh, moderate to advanced mobility tech, and I think that's so awesome. Nearly everything is pulling double duty with constant comboing potential in combat, but also platforming combo potential, um, with the more impressive part being in the latter category. Uh, This is exemplified by this really great auto-scrolling section in one of the final levels. And I hate auto-scrollers. Those levels, I dread them. But this is asking me to use a lot of my new skills in a race against the auto-scroll, but it also gives me freedom enough to do it in a number of ways by making use of my varied skill set. There's maybe two skills that I don't really use too much, and they are ones that are in like later batches of bosses. So that kind of feels like high challenge, low reward on those two particular skills. Um, but better platformers will definitely be able to use those to greater success than I will. Um, this game also has a few secret bosses, like I mentioned. You don't need to fight them, but you are rewarded for doing so, and these rewards are definitely worth the extra time. Speaking even further of bosses, I think the main bosses all have a great visual design. Some of the designs don't really match their associated sport well, in my opinion, Mm. but I like the variety and creativity of these high school students' ideas of what sports-themed superhero costumes should be. Yeah, at first when you talked about this kind of idea, I thought, oh, are some of them like baseball people, but one is kind of like a catcher-themed and right. one is like a base, like someone at bat-themed. Right, but no, they're not a baseball Such team. great yeah, variety. Huge variety. Um, I think the game's length is just right. It fits in with what I love most about Megan Man games. I think this probably took me six or seven hours to complete But now that I've played it, I know I could play it much faster the second time through, and even faster the time after that. This is a game 
that can be completed in an afternoon. It's probably a little bit longer than my favorite Mega Man games, but not by a lot. And I love that. Games that offer a fun challenge and can still be finished in three or few hours. Just perfect. That's my jam. Um, there's lots of other little things I love about Bat Boy, and if you sat down in a room with me while I was actively playing it, I'm sure I would never stop pausing and telling you what all of those things are. But what it you could just filibuster using this game. I, I so could, couldn't I? Oh, I have a new calling. What it boils down to is this: Bat Boy is an incredible Mega Man like, but even more of a specific comparison, it's an even better. Shovel Knight-like. Uh, many people considered Shovel Knight a Mega Man-like, you know, as they should. It is. But I always struggled with that comparison personally. Um, but one reviewer by the name of Professor Icepick on Steam put it this way, If you liked Shovel Knight but wished it took more inspiration from Mega Man, then this game is for you. And that clicked with me. Mm. The only thing that this and Shovel Knight really depart from in my Mega Man formula is that way you fight bosses. I think Bat Boy is a great Mega Man-like and probably a near-perfect Shovel Knight-like. I love this game. It makes me excited to go back and actually complete Shovel Knight. I immediately put this game in my top 100 right up against some 9.5s and 10s. And so I'm going to give Bat Boy a 10 out of 10. Wow! Amazing, dude. I was so excited about this game. I just think it's so good. I felt good after every play session. I was never frustrated. I want to get better at the game. I just want to keep playing it. Yeah. Given everything you've said, a 10 is not surprising from you. I'm so happy for you and happy about Bat Boy. I don't think it's a surprise that this is probably a strong candidate for my Jealous game for the season now. At the end there, you you stole the question out of my mouth, which was, <laughs> how much does this game take a page from Shovel Knight? And it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And I will say, I have my own top 100 games list and my top 100 indie games list. Shovel Knight's up there. Shovel Knight on my top 100 indie games list is currently my number two. Yeah. So... I think this is a Bopo game too. Yeah. And I don't I don't think it'll overtake Shovel Knight for you. That's fair. I don't see this being overtaken by Shovel Knight for me. I think there's one thing in particular in my head that might make the difference there, uh, other than medieval setting, putting that part aside, is that you gain the mobility tech in Bat Boy by defeating the boss. Mm-hmm. That is much more in line with the Mega Man game. Where in Shovel Knight, you, you find it. those. You find them. Yep. Yeah. And you talked about the pogoing. Shovel Knight has the pogoing. Yep. I love the pogoing. And I also love that we're at this point now where Shovel Knight comes out all those years ago and it's taking a page from games from like the late 80s and early 90s. Yep. You know, those 8 bit classic action platformers. Um, and now you have indie games that are taking a page from, you know, it's iterated upon again mm-hmm. and again, and we're still able to find fun new combinations like instead of a pure Shovel Knight game, let's have a Shovel Knight game that leans more into the Mega Man side yeah. with Bat Boy. So I find that really alluring. I would take a Shovel Knight-like, even though it isn't exactly like Shovel Knight and also is like kind of a little bit more like Mega Man, I would love to try this sometime. I don't think I have any other questions. 
But uh, I encourage people to look at the trailer because it's one of the most fun trailers I've watched while hearing you talk about a game before. <laughs> um, where can you play Bat Boy? All right. Unfortunately, has no physical, but it is available on Switch, Xbox One, Windows, Xbox Series X and S. I played it on PlayStation 4, and it's also on PlayStation 5. And as a side note, came out on a pretty significant date for myself in my life, and that was a big surprise to find. Oh, uh, when on I, your birthday? Yeah, on my really? birthday. came out oh my on my gosh. birthday. Oh, that's so fun. I had no idea. Huh. It makes it extra special oh. for me now. <laughs> that's cool. There's a there's a fun date coincidence with our featured game today oh. that, that we'll talk about a little bit later. Perfect. So that's funny. Well, it's time for my secret game. My secret game is also called the character that you play as. Okay. That's about where the similarities <laughs> to Bat Boy stop. My secret game is called Dujana. Oh, what a name. Okay. I've never heard of it. Never heard of it. Not I am not surprised, honestly, um, but I sent you a trailer and uh, I'll let you watch that while I go on. All right. Well, immediately I'm concerned about your mental health, but uh, I'm excited <laughs> to hear what you have to say about Dujana. So Dijana is a 2017 narrative adventure game. It was developed by Jack King Spooner. And if you go to Steam, you'll see that it was published by Erm. So just it's lowercase E-R-M dot dot dot. I'm not sure if that's Jack King Spooner, just, you know, with a different name. I don't know if it's someone else. And here is a secret I want to tell you about this game before we even get into it. Back in season four... I was going to play and review this game oh, for okay. the Chicory, A Colorful Tale episode. Ooh. I started it. I got 30 minutes in and I hardcore abandoned it because I was not in the mood for what I was seeing and playing and hearing. <laughs> and I picked Sludge Life instead. That is, So I swerved. Yeah, that is a different... Uh, different concerning element of of the psyche but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah sludge life had been on my list for a while so it kind of jumped to the top of the queue but now i have gone back and played dujana from start to finish for this review i cannot read the synopsis from the steam storefront or anywhere else online because it doesn't really have one that's upsetting and also not surprising given what i'm seeing here and I'm sure it also won't be a surprise that reviewing this game is extremely difficult for me. This is going to be a very unconventional review. Okay. I will do my best to set up the game and paint a picture of what's going on. So in this game, it is a top-down adventure game set in a fictional Middle Eastern country. You play as Dujana, a Muslim mother and wife. And Dujana's daughter and husband leave their house to go bury the family's dead hamster. And they go missing. So Dujana's left alone at the house, doesn't know what's happened to her husband or her daughter. And as Dujana, you go and look for them. And in your pause menu, you're given a list of people to talk to. The world opens up with various villages and miscellaneous locations that you can find and a lot of this game is taking place in the desert with lots of conversations with villagers centering around existence and death and purpose and love. 
and many other big ideas. The game has this claymation and stop motion style. You can really see it in that trailer. Um, So the graphics really look like um, nothing I've played before, but it also incorporates digital graphics and hand-drawn illustrations and live action video. And sometimes all this stuff is going on at once. It has a very grainy and homemade feeling. Its visuals can also have like glitchy and hypnotic styles going on sometimes. And your goal is to just look for your family. And this is really all I can say to set up the game. Uh, Disco Cola, we've played games that nearly defy explanation before. (laughs) I'm thinking of Virginia. Yeah. I'm thinking of art school and jazz punk and Dear Esther and Doki Doki Literature Club and Kentucky Route Zero and Device Six and Never Ending Nightmares as examples. Uh, How about Hypnospace Outlaw? Hypnospace Outlaw from... (laughs) a couple episodes ago, definitely fits that description too. But when it comes to defying explanation, Dujana pretty much tops them all. This game has magical realism. It is about political and social commentary, uh, spoken through memories and imagination. It is mystifying. It's enigmatic. It's bizarre. Every single person who plays this is going to bring their own life experience into it and maybe come away with something else. Ooh, I like that. This game is grimy. It is rough. It is shrill. If I were to describe what's going on moment to moment, I might sound like a crazy person. In this game, you drive a mech. You play arcade games to earn tokens for a giant spider. You hear a folktale about a man expressed through a child's imagination. Uh, You find a robot plant run by one of the strangest characters I've ever seen on any screen. Uh, You hear about how consciousness works and how we become part of the universe when we die. And what I like about this game is I think the art style and imagery, it feels handcrafted in a way that feels really personal. Uh, It talks openly about difficult subjects concerning womanhood and motherhood too. Uh, There are discussions about life and death, sometimes in a really obtuse way. Uh, but in a way that still feels really important. This game feels important, even though I don't always understand the point it's trying to make. It's a challenging game, not in that the gameplay is difficult, but that it is arduous in what it talks about, and it's very real in what it's talking about. Um, By the end, I felt really strong feelings of hopelessness and sadness, too. That's about all I can praise about it. Um, what I dislike about it, it's it's hard to know what I dislike about it because I'm just unsettled by this game. Yeah. Um, you can tell by what you're seeing there. Um, but it is avant-garde and offbeat and unorthodox. The presentation, I guess, is something I point to as something that kind of frustrated me. It's, it's very bare bones and um, disheveled when it does show you information. Like everything you need to know for context in this game is kind of crammed into your one pause screen and it all looks so scribbled and slapdash. Uh, There's only one save file. The game doesn't really run like other Steam games I've played where I can't take a screenshot. I can't really go into settings and and change things. It's really just, do I want to pause, save and quit? And that's it. And honestly, like Dujana, I think it's an important game. I think it's a baffling game too. I've never played anything like it. I'll never play anything like it again in the future. I think you could argue it's a masterpiece. I think you could argue it's a jarring mess. I fall somewhere in the middle. 
For me, its images are indelible. I feel a bit shattered after playing this. I found it to be largely joyless, which makes it really hard to recommend to a wide variety of people. Mm -hmm. But if you like unconventional stories and getting lost in an unpredictable experience, I, I highly recommend seeking this out. Uh, I'm very glad I gave this game another chance, and I never want to play it again. I rate it a question mark out of 10, but actually I will give it a score. Because it's just been in my mind, it has that indelible imagery, and it's just unlike anything else, which I guess is what I was playing this game for. It looked like something that was unlike anything I had played before, and I'm always interested in those experiences, and that's definitely what I got but it leaves me feeling a certain way I don't always want to feel. I'm going to land on a 6 out of 10. Oh, that's this. actually higher than I thought. I'm so glad. So 6 out of 10, I know sounds kind of harsh, but for me, a 6 out of 10 is actually kind of the lower end of positive, lower end of good, if you will. So again, it's hard to talk about. I I now leave you in the difficult, weird position of maybe asking a question about this game that I might not be able to answer. I don't know, but it's playable on PC, which is where I played it, and Mac. Um, no, that's fine. It's a lot of the times I really just point out like observations anyway in this section, uh, and it's actually reminding me of a lot of my favorite indie animations, and I think this game, apart from the fact that I can't read most of the text that shows up in this trailer here, I think this game might be designed for people like me because um, I do like that sort of um, 90s vaporwave sort of VHS kind of analog yes. art. There is that feeling in this game, like um, permeating throughout. Yeah, and that looks like it's very prevalent here. There's also just like a certain breed of chronic depression that some people have. Uh, like myself, that this sort of thing just like really vibes with. Mm. Um, and so I I vibe with some of this like really upsetting stuff, especially when it incorporates that that analog looking art style. So I'm I'm actually interested in in Dujana. That's awesome. I I'm glad you are. My one possible piece of caution for you is that because I know one of your big fears centers around dying death, and death. Yeah. That's a huge topic in this game. Well, you hear death through the lens of so many NPCs you talk to. Right. And so maybe you you find that comforting though sometimes to hear it spoken about in a different way. I wouldn't say that I ever find it comforting, but I think it's important to acknowledge that and hear that. Mm -hmm. We've got in the current time we're recording, we've got two really big, sad, unfortunate wars happening across the globe with so much devastation, and it's just so easy to see it. Mm -hmm. uh, so much easier to see it now than it might have been when we were growing up. So it's, I think it's important to be aware of that and make those uncomfortable observations and, and hear it because that stuff just doesn't really happen here. So Yeah, it... Not to say that this gives us a accessible way to see those conflicts exactly how they are now, but this game came out in 2017, and a lot of its ideas, I think, are relevant mm -hmm. to this day. There is uh, an area of the game you go into that is um, occupied by U.S. military forces, 
and Dujana gets to go into this military camp and and talk to one of the leaders of the camp in her search for her family. And the way she's talked to is just heartbreaking, yeah. you know, and she doesn't ultimately get to learn anything. She's denied any truth about what's happening, even though that's one of the places where she could learn a lot. And um, I, I find it to be really, really timely, you know, even though I'm playing it six, almost seven years after it came out. Yeah. So I that's sad on its own, but it uh, is, here we are. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for for making that point too. But yeah, um, that's something I definitely thought about as I was playing that particular section. Um, and every place you go in this game, you're going to run into different different topics, and that's just one of them. Yeah. But yeah, immediately uh, the first thing that popped into my head is is one of my favorite indie animations online. It's called Opal by Jack Stauber. Um, I love that animation. It's upsetting and it's disturbing and I watch it for fun. So take that from, from me, what you will. I might strongly recommend this to you then. Yeah. I, I, I think you might really take appreciate Take something it. away from it that you, others might not. You might. And you know what? It takes, I'd say between two and three hours to finish. Okay. Um, there are those arcade games I briefly mentioned and there's a section of the game where you play all these arcade games they each give you a window into this life of what it might be like to live during a conflict in a Middle Eastern country in through different lenses. And I only did the bare minimum to continue, but I think there's a lot more just in that section of those arcade games going on. And it's definitely like going for a lot of different styles of gameplay in that moment too. And while I was playing this game and writing my notes down on the side, there were so many sentences I didn't finish writing. Oh, interesting. Because I like started to write something and then I kept playing and then I was like, I go back to my notes and I go, wait, what was I saying here? So that's how much <laughs> nonsense is going on. So I just, I just find that inherently interesting. And also Jack King Spooner has another game coming up with a similar visual style. It's called Judero. So... Yeah. Anyway, those are our secret games, Bat Boy and Dujana. Let's move on to our review of Totally Accurate Battle Simulator. It is our featured game. Totally Accurate Battle Simulator is a physics-based strategy simulator first released in 2021. It was released on April 1st for PC. So it was released on <laughs> April Fool's Day. For, for, this is the thing I was alluding to yeah. earlier. So I think that's kind of fitting for this yeah, goofy game. Yeah, And it was developed and published by Landfall Games. The game synopsis from the Steam storefront reads, quote, be the leader of wobblers from ancient lands, spooky places, and fantasy worlds. Watch them fight in simulations made with the wobbliest physics system ever created. Make your own wobblers in the unit creator and send your army off to fight your friends in multiplayer, end quote. I think that's a really fun, fitting description there. But in this game, it is a 3D. You can move a camera around a battlefield and choose army units to fight an opposing army. Um, once you place your units, you can start the battle and they'll fight each other in a real-time simulation, but you can choose to control units one at a time mid-battle and control their actions. There are many kinds of campaigns of maps that span history and fiction. Um, some examples of this are uh, tribal, farmer, medieval, Viking, pirate, renaissance, 
and Wild West. Um, and in each campaign, you can play as units themed after the setting. So in Tribal, you can deploy spear throwers and chieftains and bone mages. In Pirates, you can use cannons and flintlocks. In the spooky maps and campaign, you can use vampires and skeleton warriors. And once you defeat an army, you move on to the next stage of the campaign. And these campaigns can have anywhere from, I counted 17 or so on the low end to as many as more than 60 stages. So right. they, they really have a wide range. And the battles are very quick. Each stage is giving you a gold amount you use to purchase units. And each kind of unit is worth a different amount of gold, depending on its power. And Totally Accurate Battle Simulator, or TABS, is known for having wobbly mechanics. Yes. Uh, the physics are very ragdoll in nature. It is a feature, not a bug. Um, <laughs> units will just kind of fly around. Limbs will go everywhere. Everything's very wobbly, like we heard about in the description. And the game is about strategizing units and trying to defeat the opposing army using the gold you're given. And you do that a couple dozen times, maybe a hundred or a thousand times, depending on how many levels you want to play in this game. And within the maps, you can also find secrets which unlock some of the more bizarre units in the game. And in addition to those campaigns, there is a sandbox mode where you can just pit any kind of combination of army against another combination. Uh, there's a multiplayer mode. There is a workshop and map creator where you can create new armies and maps. You can actually download other players' creations online. Um, and there are many gameplay options and intended bugs to activate in the settings <laughs> menu. You can, for instance, make units tiny. You can make all units spin around or get wings. Um, you can disable clothing <laughs> on all the units. Oh, my. So there are tons of options in this game. This is a very open-ended game. There is no clear story um, or goal, really. Yeah. Um, you could argue maybe the campaigns are the official goal, but you can start anywhere and I'm curious about how much you were able to play Disco Cola. What what did you accomplish in tabs just to set the scene? So in tabs, I did the introduction and then the adventure campaign, which I consider to be the main game. It's, I believe, the longest campaign of all of them yeah, by that, a lot. That's the one that has like 62 stages. Yeah. yeah. And so I considered that to be like the main game and everything sure. else was just like extra stuff you could do. Yeah. And so I did at least that, played my secret game. I played Bat Boy just so I could get that done. And then I went back and played maybe the first six or seven levels of most of the other campaigns. Oh, wow. You So you touched a lot of the campaign stuff. Like uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't get back to all of the campaigns, but I did sure. go back and do like six or seven levels in most of them just so I could say I like did a little bit more. Yeah. That's fair. Um, for me, I played about 15 hours. If you add up all the campaigns, like there are lots of campaigns where I did like half of them. But if you add up everything, I did like three and a half-ish campaigns in, in full. And I found 27 of the secret units. I did a little bit of the sandbox mode. And I streamed a lot of this on Twitch. And I downloaded an army from a friend I made on Twitch named Blob Fishman, yeah. who was helping me out throughout my streams. And so Blob Fishman made this army called the Forgotten Empire, which is focused on recreating the medieval time period. And so I was playing around with another person's army that they created that I downloaded. So um, now that we kind of know what's going on in the game, we know how much we've played, 
What are your thoughts on tabs, Disco Cola? Right. I'm glad we're calling it tabs, and I'm glad you called out Blobfish Man. Um, <laughs> um, my overall thoughts on tabs, I'm going to be honest, of all of the featured games this season, this is probably the one I was looking forward to the least. Unfortunately for me, I think I was right on that assessment. Ah, uh, okay. Um, there are some things that I do like about tabs. I think the identity of tabs is lighthearted, fun, and it's just an overall pleasant hug, if not a little wobbly. <laughs> um, I like that there are and what it takes to find collectibles. I didn't know about it until I watched one of your streams, but it was fun to be audience to that. Afterward, I did go back and try to find a few of them, uh, but I didn't I didn't focus on it too much. Um, I do like that campaigns give you specific limitations from level to level. This prevents me from just falling into the habit of using my favorite units over and over and over again. Um, it also encourages me to approach new units I wouldn't care about otherwise. It also encourages me to approach battles in new ways. Mm -hmm. So instead of using three or four powerful units that tank a lot of hits and deal a lot of damage, sometimes it's better to just overwhelm the opposition with a great number of cheap units. That's not yes. something that I really did often, but sometimes was just like the really, just by far the easiest way to beat a level. Yeah, sometimes you need beefy boys and just like two or three of them, and other times you need just 30 small dudes to just swarm. Just like 60 halflings. Who, yeah, yeah, let them go. Yeah, exactly. I like that I'm learning a lot about warfare from different cultures. Hmm. Well, kind of. I actually don't. <laughs> I actually don't find warfare especially fascinating or something that should be cherished. But there are a lot of cool machines that I'm learning about that I was yes. previously unaware of, like the the Hacha and the Da Vinci tank. Both things I didn't really know too much about before. Um, and playing with these in a chaotic fantasy setting is certainly harmless fun. So uh, I do appreciate that. I think the music is varied and thematic to the different time periods and cultures. It's not my absolute favorite music, but it it's good and does the job, so I feel it's worth mentioning, at least. I like that you can pick it up and put it down at any time. There's no real progress to be lost. It's divided up into bite-sized chunks. Hell, they're even like smaller than bite-sized chunks. They're just like little nibbles. Um, some of the little combats will take you longer than others, but you're rarely any closer to succeeding two minutes into a fight as you are, uh, in a fight that's taking you 12 minutes. Eventually you just happen to find the right combo. But that does kind of lead me into one of my first complaints is that this game has a lot of luck going on mm -hmm. at times. Um, I can get just so close one time. And I'll just restart the battle, and then the second time I'll just like totally nail it, no yeah. problem. It feels arbitrary sometimes. Yeah, it feels like luck. It, there's a lot of RNG, and um, that was one of the first things I tried out when I laid down an army. I thought, well, if I fail, it still puts the same units on the battlefield as I had them. Yeah. I could just start it again. Start it again. And I won a lot of battles because I just had a hunch that I was unlucky the first yeah. time. Yeah. And I early on, it's the weirdest thing. I, I also tried that very early on and ended up with like near identical results pretty early on. So I'm like, oh, this this like this is set in stone once I do it the first time. Mm -hmm. So I had that thought for a while, but I, I quickly disproved myself. It can depend on like which units fire first, yeah. you know, as far as attacks, you know, if a, if a cannon takes out a whole battalion of troops, then those troops don't get to attack. Whereas other times it might miss and yeah. then it's a completely different outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
Another pretty big complaint is that I think the camera control is just entirely unenjoyable. I feel like I'm fighting against it in all directions just to zoom in on one singular unit. Mm-hmm. Maybe this works better on PC, but here on PlayStation 4, I find it almost unbearable. Yeah, it's a, it feels like a lot of effort yeah, to just zoom in. I'd rather just stay zoomed out and just try to decipher the action from afar, honestly. <laughs> Even when trying to use the camera to locate hidden items, I kind of feel like I'm participating in a game of Flappy Bird as the actual <laughs> bird. Yeah. Um, so tangentially, as fun as the concept of locating the hidden units is, I still kind of dread doing it and I did I did quit looking for those pretty quickly. Okay. Um in tabs, you can take control of a unit, uh, but using this function feels like a headache in itself. I kind of feel like I might be missing something, but I'm more often than not selecting units I don't want to control, and while I'm wasting time trying to get into the unit I do want to control in the first place, that unit is dead or near dead. Yes. So even after I started bothering taking control of units, I would usually just get the same result by letting the battle play on its own. In most cases, um, I find it was only really effective in certain specialized units where AI doesn't really cut it. So like using it to aim better with Zeus sure. or using it to stay a little bit further away from enemies as a Valkyrie. Yeah. That's when I would use the, I the used, character control. I used it a lot on cannons because mm-hmm. I found that cannons were good at shooting things from afar, but it doesn't use good judgment with which units to aim at. So I would control that cannon and I would aim at like the strong unit that I really want to go down quickly rather than a grunt enemy that my other units can take care of. That's what my cannons were trying to do. Um, And I I did find that you can pause the battles and then shift that camera, look at a unit accurately and control it. Uh, It's just a lot of button presses to kind of do it. You have to remember to do it. There is a way around that sort of accidental selection, um, but I I was always bad at remembering to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was missing something. But yeah, it all boils down to that I just, I did not have a lot of fun playing the game. I wasn't really looking forward to it, but I thought, you know, this will be silly enough. Maybe it'll surprise me. Uh, but even still, I was just kind of bored the whole time, and it eventually started to feel like a chore. I had much more fun watching your streams of tabs and had more fun watching you interact with our new favorite tabs chat member, Blobfish Man. <laughs> um, but playing it on my own, I just I really wanted to move on. Uh, tabs is a simple concept with delightfully silly execution in its art direction. However, that on its own wasn't enough to grip me, and when faced with gameplay and controls that I didn't enjoy, I just, yeah, I don't hate tabs, but this isn't another Into the Breach for me. <laughs> That's good. But it's it's not something that I enjoyed, and I don't really see myself enjoying it much in the future. If you have a good battle or two, I can start to feel that momentum where I want to keep going, uh, but the second I have to move the camera, my enjoyment factor depletes pretty quickly. I do see myself picking it up in the future, but probably only when maybe I've finished a stream or a high action play session, Mm. maybe also with a couple drinks in me, but I'm just (laughs) not quite ready to go to bed yet. Then I could see myself doing a battle or two in tabs. Otherwise, I think this was like a true neutral experience for me. So tabs is a disco cola 5.0 out of 10. Five out of 10. That sounds fair given what you've described. And, you know, the way you talked about it 
reminded me a few times of how much of a pick up and play game this is. You know, this game is something you can play for an hour or two or more. It's something you can just decompress with. You can play for 15 minutes if that's all the time you have. And I think that's all valid. And uh, this this game really kind of feels like a toy. Yeah. This game is a toy. Yeah. And I, I since this is one of my lower scores, I do have things that I think could have improved my personal experience. We can get to that later as a talking yeah. point for both I, of us. I'd be, I'd be curious about that. Okay. Um, and I think some of that will just come up naturally in my dislikes. I think you could just take all my dislikes and and flip them or improve them, and that would be my answer to that topic. But um, I also like how you pointed out that this game is sort of unexpectedly educational. I also was learning about, you know, units and, like, the proper nomenclature for things, and, you know, some of it is fantasy, yeah. you know, so... Like, like a chieftain. I didn't know what that was. I'd seen the word before, but oh, okay. now I get it. Now you get it. So, yeah, it makes sense. It all feels kind of accurate when, it's, when you're looking at a um, historical sort of army, when it's more fantasy it's it's kind of anything goes at that point but it does smash them all together and the result is a game that is a glorious mess that i kind of loved i, I thought you would love i this. had a lot of fun I thought with you this had a lot of fun with it. um yeah and i had the experience of like getting help from someone in chat i had the experience of just being able to interact with people so that could could have improved it for me but here's what i genuinely like about this game that I think applies whether I'm playing solo or playing on stream. This is unintentionally, but also very intentionally, hilarious in so many ways. You can create absolutely unhinged combinations of units, and that's the funniest thing to me in this game. You know, like you could say, I want a <laughs> jouster and a uh, a tempest lich and a painter and a cowboy <laughs> and a snake archer, and I want, want them all on my army. And that's valid in this game. Like, no other game lets you do that. And after playing enough campaigns, I actually started to feel accomplished as a tactician somewhat. I know the game is goofy. I know the game can give you a different result, even if you press start on the same exact uh, setup, and it can feel a little unfair in that way. But I was starting to feel a little smart. I feel like I was eventually using my experience from previous battles to inform how not only which units I placed, but how I placed them. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the difference between winning and failing comes down to subtle army placement. One of the things I noticed in my most recent PlayStation was like slopes can really make or break, but mostly break uh, certain units. And so you don't place them on slopes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So terrain makes a difference. Different units are faster than others. You'll know that some units will reach the enemy way before others. And one example of this kind of idea is I had a level where I had like three distinct groups of my units and two of the groups were getting just blown to bits together. And so then I spaced them out a little bit and then the army, the the enemy eradicated my first group but didn't touch my second group. And while the enemy's attacks were recharging, my second group then got to them and, and defeated them. So all I did there, I didn't change which units I had. I just changed the spacing. And I had an inverse scenario where all of my units were really spaced out and everything was very unfocused. 
And for this particular battle, I had to group them all together to sort of funnel the enemy down into a closer concentration so that I could take them all out, mm-hmm. you know, kind of at once. And so I am evaluating the placement in a way that makes me feel like I'm using that experience. And I really like that. I feel I feel smart when I do that. Uh, this game is just as much fun, if not more fun, to watch someone play, I think. I was getting lots of compliments from people about how the game is very entertaining, mm-hmm. you know, and I totally applaud the game for that you know if <laughs> i applaud you but it was well whatever <laughs> i think the game is just inherently really fun to watch um it is stupid unadulterated fun it captures that feeling of being a kid and reaching into your toy box with all your action figures all these action figures from like different franchises and and brands and different sizes and just smashing them together yeah you know? it's putting my power rangers and my teenage mutant ninja turtles in this off-brand Sam's Club spaceship together. Precisely. And so it kind of lets you live out that fantasy in a very approachable way, I think. And you can play campaigns in any order. I love that, you know, potentially no two people will experience this game in the same way. You can choose your own fun. I could see how someone might want to just jump into creating things rather than do the campaign content. If you do the campaign content, you don't have to start with the introduction and then the adventure. You could jump into the spooky campaign. Or yeah, you could which jump... is one of the last ones on the list. Right. Yeah. You can start anywhere. So I love when games do that, especially ones where there isn't really a story. And so uh, I applaud them for that, for just opening it up to us. Let us start wherever we want. Um, I think the music is really fun. It ranges in style according to the theme of the campaign you're playing. I noticed the pirate music was really fun. It kind of sounded shanty-like. Um, the spooky music sounded like, you know, fun, almost like Disney-like Halloween music, oh. you know? Um, so <laughs> Some Danny Elfman-like Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. And uh, so this game, uh, you know, I, I don't think I love all the music, but I, I plot it for using a wide variety of music. Yeah, it, to, it has range. It does it's have sometimes range. I think it's like lowest common denominator of the style, but it definitely sure. has range and it's hard to have that as a composer. Definitely does. And sometimes it strays into the more goofy side yeah. and I guess that kind of complements what you're seeing too. And then um the secrets. I loved looking for the secrets. You loved looking for them. I loved looking for them not only because it was satisfying unlocking the units, but because I wasn't always in the mood to just do battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. The secrets break up the battles in a way Mm -hmm. where I could do five campaign missions. Then I could spend 20 minutes looking for secrets. And by the time I find some, I'm ready for more battles. So that was great to keep me invested in this game and to keep me playing for longer sessions. And then for things that I found annoying, I have just like a laundry list of minor (laughs) things but they all kind of add up, right? So yeah. um, the UI is unflashy. You know, it's not the most exciting presentation when you're setting up the battle. Uh, it feels kind of programmy and kind of cold. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of blank text on screen and it's, it's kind of bland in a way. Uh, but then, of course, the battle starts and it gets more exciting. But when you're just placing things, it just doesn't feel like it has strong, it doesn't have a flashiness that I would like, I guess. Yeah. There is lagginess, particularly with oh, larger God. armies. Yeah. Did you you had this too? Oh yeah. I'm you're probably playing on PS5. I was playing on PS4. So imagine that amplified. Yeah. I, I don't know what kind of um improvement I really had over you because sometimes, you know, despite playing a PS4 game on a PS5, 
sometimes games just aren't optimized for the next generation. That can happen too. But I was seeing this on certain maps. I was seeing it in sandbox mode. Um, the game crashed on me once Ooh, during stream. Dang. So uh, yeah, that is a legitimate problem, at least on the console version for us. Um, selecting units can feel like a lot of scrolling around the selection wheels, Ugh. and I don't always remember where things are, and it all kind of looks homogenous. I'm, you're reading a lot of iconography really quickly to try to remember where things are, and that can kind of be mentally fatiguing. And honestly, this game is just tiring to play for more than a few hours. Uh, you're constantly making decisions and maybe tweaking things and then trying it out. And, oh, that didn't work. Let me try something else. That didn't work. Let me try wiping my whole army. Let me try this entirely new army. Oh, that worked. Then I won, and it only took 20 seconds to win. Now, next map, my whole army's wiped. Do it all again. Yeah. And so that could just, that's why I liked looking for those secrets, is because if I didn't have them, I probably wouldn't have been able to play this game for more than an hour and a half at a time. And then controlling the units feels clunky, um, which I think is intentional, but it's nonetheless a little frustrating. Also, there are audio issues. There are times when um, the music pops in for a second and then fades away, especially like after resetting a battle. It just feels kind of clunky. Uh, the music can have really extreme dynamics too, mm -hmm. where sometimes the music is way too quiet. Sometimes it's way too loud, I feel. Uh, so that's it. That, that's kind of like my, my long list there. But overall, tabs made me feel like a totally accurate battle strategist. <laughs> because you have to figure out how to spend your money, I think this is maybe just as much a puzzle game as it is a simulation or strategy game. So I was kind of trying to look at it that way. And I think I had more fun with it than other strategy games I've played. It could have a flashier presentation, but once the battles start, it's fun to zoom the camera along the battlefield for me and watch all the madness unfold. It's a little rough around the edges. It is wobbly. It is clumsy, but it's tongue-in-cheek in very charming ways. I had quite a bit of fun. I'm going to rate it an 8 out of 10. 8? That is pretty close to what I guessed for you. And I knew when I was watching you stream it that you were having a good time, uh, and I knew that we would have this this divide in our scores. And that's okay. I think that makes it really interesting when um, we have slightly different takes on it, you know? I agree. And uh, I, I still agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I am curious about maybe if you had some of those points, uh, some of those little improvements that you would like to see. Yeah. So I think once I did finally download the game and turn it on, what I was hoping for was something incredibly chaotic. And while it certainly is chaotic, there is a certain element of it that was missing. And one of the things that I thought of was just like, what if there was destructible elements, like destructible environments? That would have really improved my enjoyment. Be like, oh, are they going to knock down the wall? Or are my <laughs> like 40 halflings going to just like topple this building on the army oh, yeah something a, like a, that there is a level of like physics they could explore with with walls and terrain yeah like we've talked about already how terrain can affect units but you make me think of like the wild west and how there are buildings in that wild west town what if we could put people inside the buildings yeah. and then the buildings could be destroyed with a gatling gun you know right yeah, yeah. there's a lot of like units that cause explosions so there's a lot of mm -hmm. potential there I just wanted something a little bit more like 
jumping inside your Grand Theft Auto tank and just like rolling down the street. I just wanted that level of chaos and it just didn't quite get there for me. It was just a bunch of wobbly men that I was (laughs) watching from afar because I didn't want to zoom in with the camera that I hated. Sure. Uh, I, I think my imagination was limited in some ways. Like in the Wild West town, I wanted to put some riflemen on top of the buildings so that they could kind of snipe people from up above and then nobody could get to them. But you place them and then they just sort of walk off the building. Yeah. You know, they just start walking toward the enemy until they're within range. So I wish they either behaved like I expected or I wish I could maybe place a unit and then tell it how to behave. Yeah. Although that could be a lot of micromanagement. I think it'd be cool if you could place a unit and then say, like, I want you to stay in place Mm -hmm. at the spot and wait for enemies to approach you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one is notable enough for it to be like one of the only ones like and and it could be one that's optional too. Like you don't have to teach the player to do it, but if you do know how to do it, that opens up that wider world of of strategizing for you. Yeah, I think overall, I just expected this game to have maybe a little bit more depth, just in general. Yeah. And and really, it is. It's how you described it as perfect. Is you you're watching just wobbly men attack each other in this wild west. Now they're doing it in this tribal area. Now they're doing it in this Viking Iceland. <laughs> just, uh, so, you know, the differences there can just be what kind of coverage do I have and how far away are the units? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering what are your favorite armies and units? Like what did you go back to over and over uh, again? Because I, I had like some, some ones I kept using over and over if I was stuck. Yeah. So I used the, I don't remember if this is the right name, the Monkey King Yes, Monkey King. Monkey King was one of my absolute favorites. That one's super reliable in a lot of situations. I liked Zeus a lot. He's more of a like attack close-knit groups together Mm because of the lightning chain. Uh, That was a favorite of mine. I loved Snake Archers, weirdly. Mm -hmm. I thought those were fun to use. Um, Didn't really win me a lot of battles most of the time. But they shoot snakes, and it basically is multiplying how many units you have on the field. And so I really really enjoyed putting those guys out there when I could. I think the Bone Mages look really cool, and I like their attack. Um, Again, really low HP, so dying pretty quickly if they get hit. But they can can do some damage. Yeah. yeah, I think those are probably my my favorites. I think I'm missing one still, but I like a lot of those you said. One of the first ones I was very impressed with was the mammoth. Uh just how you can just step on units. You mm-hmm. don't even have to like swing your tusks and your trunk. You could just step on people and hurt them. Um I love this idea of the potion sellers throwing the potions that confuse and poison enemies. Um, that was a great way to break up groups of enemies. I, I won a, a battle that I should not have won because the potion <laughs> sellers convinced those guys to walk off edges. That's it. awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's the only reason I won. And some of them like manipulate the enemy. You know, like there's Cupid who sh- I don't love using Cupid, but Cupid is a secret unit and can make units like I think they become pacifist or fall in love with each other or something. And so it's just another way to disorient them. Um, I also love Monkey King. You know, I was deploying Monkey King a lot in the pirate campaign (laughs) and Monkey King was making me laugh because a lot of these units have like funny sound effects. Yeah. And so Monkey King was going (laughs) a lot and you're like, whoa, what is that? The Monkey King making that noise? And it's just so goofy. I was laughing so much from that. Um, I love using Valkyries. 
because they can just close the gap really quickly and and take on smaller enemies quickly. The Da Vinci tank was fun to use. Oh yeah, that one was really cool. I only used it like twice because it's so expensive. But yeah, it costs four thousand. Um, but it can basically solo some campaign maps. Uh, musketeers are really useful from afar. And then a lot of the Wild West people, like the Gunslinger, the Deadeye, the Quick Draw, I was using a lot of those. I'd say that the Secret Army has some really fun ideas, too. There is Artemis that just shoots arrows at a really fast rate and is like one of my favorite characters overall. Um, there are mace spinners that just twirl around with maces. <laughs> They're just like like a whirling dervish almost. And um, the clam people are very interesting too. Like I was having a lot of fun with clams while I was playing because that's who I used in the sandbox mode. Okay. So I did an army of 30 clams versus 30 clams. These are people who just throw clams that scurry along and attack your enemies. Kind of like kind of like the archers. snake archers. Exactly okay. like that. And so this is a moment where my game really froze, like slowed down <laughs> because there were like hundreds of clams on the screen yeah. all of a sudden. And so um we were calling them clam wick. <laughs> that we we're calling that's what we were calling the units. Um were there any other armies that you really liked using or like maybe just anecdotes in general that you you found amusing? I don't know. I think that just overall, unit for unit, my favorite was the ancient. Um, ancient and dynasty were my favorite armies. Because mm. um, even though I don't actually like the ninjas didn't win me a lot of battles, the Huacha didn't win me a lot of battles, I think they're all pretty cool anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ancient is the one that has Zeus and the longboat. And um, again, not a lot of those are winning me a lot of battles, but they're sure. they're pretty cool. Was there an army that you uh, wanted to play more of? Like you feel like you didn't really get to touch or did you? I didn't get to touch Spooky very much. Okay. Um, I didn't really explore that. That's not one of the ones that I got to when I went back to play it. Um, And when I did have access to it in the adventure, I only used like two or three units from it um, just because I I did tend to lean on like Monkey King and Zeus and stuff. But I I did see some pretty cool ones in there when I did use it. It does feel like every army has like a really fun, almost OP unit. Right. And I think Spooky has the Swordcaster and the Reaper, and those are like really powerful. I, I loved using those. I would say I really liked um, Pirate, mm-hmm. honestly. I used that one a ton. I loved using the Harpooners to like grab people and pull them in, and then the Harpooners kick them. Yeah, <laughs> I never used it, but I got it used against me in one of the last battles I did. I was like, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and the cannons are really fun to aim, and they reload really quickly too. So I had a lot of fun with that army. Um, one anecdote I wanted to share is finding Blackbeard on the pirate map. Uh, this is a secret unit that's behind kind of a waterfall. Okay. And when I stumbled across it, I just, my jaw dropped, I gasped, I was just poking around. I knew there was still like a unit left to find and I didn't know where it was. And I was getting the hints in chat about where to find it. And I just go behind this waterfall and there's this treasure room with a skeleton of Blackbeard, and that's where the item is it's a really cool room nice nice yeah so, you always look behind the waterfall but yes. every single game you every single game i always love when there are secrets behind waterfalls i think every <laughs> waterfall in every game should have 
a reward. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. It doesn't have to be like a bonus level or a huge upgrade. Just give me some treasure or, you know, in this case, give me a secret unit. I think that's fun. Yeah. We're invalidating TLC's old song, Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls. (laughs) Shout out to TLC. (laughs) Um, And then uh, I had a moment where I think you were watching this where I had a Viking map. I was playing as the ancient army. I had a bunch of Zeus's and there were Jarls and Jarls are really tough. Jarls are so, such a pain. They are a pain. And I took control of a Zeus and one of the Jarls knocked me back and my Zeus was still alive, but it was stuck in the floor. That's right. Yeah. And then I had three Jarls on the (laughs) opposing side that then got like tangled up together and they were walking in a circle. And so basically the battle was paused. Nothing could happen. Stalemate. It was a stalemate and it was just so bizarre. Did you have any like clunky game breaking things like that happen? Uh, Nothing quite to that level, but I did, especially when I started encountering a lot of like balloon archers or whatever, um, that really threw off my gameplay a lot just because I would have these enemies that were tanking a lot of hits, but they were up in the sky and so they couldn't like do much. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Even when I was taking control of them, it was just like nonsense. Yeah. so that's about the closest I got was with balloon archers, just jacking my steez. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's about it. That's fun, honestly. I I wish I could use balloon archers more. I think there's a trophy for it too, for like making a certain number of enemy units uh, float up, float away with mm. balloons. Um, so yeah, I uh, I don't know. Is there anything left unsaid about totally accurate battle simulator? I don't know. Is there? You tell me. I don't think so. I I think it's a interesting sandboxy game maybe um, it's maybe it's too open for me i've i've realized since i picked up the latest pokemon games in the last month i just i don't like open world games and maybe i just don't like open-ended things in general well that tracks with what you've said before you've said you like a destination i do and there isn't really a destination in this game yeah. so it's kind of just about playing with a toy yeah. it's, it, this game is a, a toy again. What, and i play with toys con- i have a toy right here yeah in it, in my it. hand yeah i but, can see it um yeah i don't know it's different it's it not as different yeah well that was our review of totally accurate battle simulator you can play it on pc mac nintendo switch playstation 4 xbox one ios and android disco cola rated it a five i rated it an eight that's the end of this episode of underplayed you can find more of our episodes at kzum.org underplayed and on common podcast platforms such as spotify or apple podcasts our music was composed by jack rodenberg our art comes from onimochi Underplayed is on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at UnderplayedPod. You can find me in those places at Bopo, that's B-O underscore P-O. I'm also on the GG app, where you can see my game lists, such as my top 100 games of all time. And I am at Disco Cola in all of those places, uh, as well as Twitch, where I have been streaming a space for the Unbound. By the time this episode comes out, I should be done. And hey, look for underplayed on twitch as well uh twitch.tv slash underplayed podcast where we will be playing operation tango soon because we have to we're running out of time yes we're going to play that uh we're going to review that in a few episodes uh next time though we will have two more secret games to review and our featured game will be a short hike an adventure game developed by adam robinson Yu. until then everyone keep on playing